Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. I love new songs that put a beat in our heart and our soul. I don't know if you got it or not or if you care, but there's this phrase in that song that caught my attention, this idea that love's returning. I, uh, I get a chance to teach sometimes down the street at this school called Vanguard in Costa Mesa. And there's a class that I get to be a part of called Foundations of Christian Life. And one of the things I get to go over is this concept of God and who he is and how he is. Right? We want to give him to be a big God. Yes, we'll give him that. But this idea, like, do we understand that God is past, present, and future? It's a really hard concept. We know what's happened in the past. We're trying to grapple with the right now the present, but we have no idea what the future's like. But if we believe God to be over all of that, I remember being challenged years ago, then God is rushing back from the future to meet with us today. So if love's returning, it's coming from a place where God wins, that God has already saved everything and everyone, and he's coming back to meet with us today, January 31st, 2021. And that's a good day to celebrate. So let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the brightness in the air of your sun that is shining. Thank you for the beauty of the mountains in the distance. Thank you for the beauty of the people all around us. And oh Lord, we give you this day. We need to be woken up to your presence because you have been a part of our lives in the days before today. You are a part of today and you are a part of all our tomorrows. But on this day, would we wake up to your presence and be available to you? Oh, because your love is returning. Your love is on the move. And we need that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, before you're seated, I want you to catch someone's eye, fist bump them, elbow bump them you know, do your thing. And if kids, if you want to grab one of your kid boxes of the day, you can grab that, an extra donut, and have a seat. We will continue our service here in just a few seconds. Mm. that he was going to have to share the stage this morning. But uh, I'm Nikki, this is Sean, and we have something very special to say today. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not only is revival in the air, did you guys feel that? Man, I felt like revival was in the air, but it's birthdays in the air too. Yeah. We we have an amazing lead pastor, leader, visionary, um, vision caster, and just a great friend, a good guy to hang out with too. Like, Mm -hmm. he's like, if you know him, like, he's just the best. And I'm, I'm thankful personally for your friendship. 
Um, but I also love how you love refuge. I love how I, I admire how you love people. Hmm. And um, we can't let a day like this pass without celebrating you at least a little bit. So right. I know your family's doing a good job. I know your close friends are doing a good job. But as a community, um, if you can catch Brenton after the service, give him a whatever, you know, fist bump. What are we doing? Fist bumps or <laughs> hair whatever. Hug. whatever. Hair yeah. hugs or whatever. Yeah. And just let him know that um, he is loved because we're so thankful for the hard work that you do here at Refuge. We have a little mm. something from the from uh. the pastoral team, from the yeah. um, board. Everyone kind of pitched in and uh. wanted to let you know that uh, you are loved. And so Thank we didn't you. mean to hijack before the sermon. I hope this doesn't no, throw off the sermon. Good. So, But if it does, I, you can blame me. Actually, he said you're going to be preaching. Now he's oh. just going to sit down and okay. let you take over that's now. That's the gift okay, inside? Yeah. Is this a sermon? Yeah. Yeah. So, so good. It's a little something. I'm going to help you out and take that back oh, from I appreciate you so that, that you can you. do the sermon now. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we and love you. Everyone give a big clap. Okay, you yeah, say well, something. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Before you clap, okay. uh, Before his you clap. beautiful wife, Rachel, actually brought some little treats oh, for yeah. everybody after service. Oh. So on your way out, make sure you stop by the table, pick one up, and help us celebrate. And if you're Brenton. watching online, we'll try to mail it to you. Yeah, yeah we'll mail it so to you. Just sorry. I don't know what it is, yes. but we'll so try to get sorry, it to you. but yeah. Now you can clap because you're excited that you get a treat. Uh, thank you so much. You don't even know where to put that, right? It's right there. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for the love. I remember years ago when my uh, birthdays would show up on Sundays, you're like, ah, it's a church day. But now, it's a church day. It's good to see all of you. Back in the day when I was a kid, the Super Bowl used to be played on the last Sunday in January. So whenever my birthday was on a Sunday, it was Super Bowl Sunday. But today's Pro Bowl Sunday, and no one cares. <laughs> oh, there are people, I, I don't think anybody cares. Like, you're, you might watch it, but not, they don't play for real. It's, <laughs> season's over. Okay, it's my birthday weekend, and on Friday night, I got to do what I wanted to do. Because it's my birthday weekend, I get to, like, usurp everybody in the household, and we're going to have a movie night. Talked about movie nights here at Refuge before, and I'm going to throw it down. I decided I want to take my kids on a trip through memory lane, and we are going to watch a movie from my childhood, circa the mid-80s, Star Trek IV. They've never seen one, two, or three, but Star Trek IV is my favorite. And right now you're like, he's a Trekkie? Not as much as you think, but maybe more than you think. You don't know where I stand on this one. But Star Trek IV, I think, is probably... The one that's fun, it goes deep into like space travel and whales. Anybody remember this? They got to find the humpback whales because the humpback whales make those sounds that are going to take care of that thing in the space. It's messing everything up, but they go back in time to 1986, 1987, and it's super fun to watch with your kids, and you forget the language that they use in PG movies in the 80s. You're like, oh, I don't remember those colorful metaphors that Spock always used. But it was a lot of fun to go down a trip through memory lane. And my kids, um, actually one of my kids was like, how long do I have to watch this? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, give me 30 minutes. Because I felt that if, sh oh, I wasn't even going to give the gender. If that person was going to give 30 minutes, they would fall in love with it like I did. And at about 31 minutes, that person left the room. But the other two stayed with my wife, and uh, they, were, they were more like, wow, this is kind of fun and unique, and wow, like, it's a very cringy story, but it's kind of cool. 
You're like, I know, it's no marvel. And look at the graphics, kids. Like when things blow up in space, you can see the reverberating ring of the really bad graphics. It's really amazing. I know it's come a long way, but there's nothing like Star Trek IV. You're like, what's the point of that to the sermon? Not much. But turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. That's where we find ourselves today. It's a New Testament reading. A guy named the Apostle Paul is writing to his friends in a city called Corinth. It's a real city. You can go to this city today. And if you go to this city, you actually will see some of the ancient ruins of what Paul would have seen in real life in full HD color into the community that he was preaching to and writing to. Now, you have to understand things about Paul. He writes a majority of the New Testament. There's 27, I got to remember, yeah, there's 27 books that show up in the New Testament. He's writing a lot of them. He's got a lot of things to say. If you can work your way through the book of Romans, it's his magnum opus. It is thick. It is dense. I'm not sure if you've read any authors like that where you're like, that guy's going really deep or that girl is going super deep. It takes a lot. You read, read things. But sometimes he just writes letters to his friends that live in certain cities and he wants to comment on things that are happening to them because there's a new groundswell movement, if you can, if I can get you on a plane and we can go back to first century, much like they did in Star Trek where they went back in time. That's the whole point of why we went there right now. They went back in time to 1987 and right now we're going back in time to first century Corinth. And if I were to take you there and walk you around, you would recognize it as a big metropolis city. All kinds of things were happening in Corinth. It's not some podunk town. It is a thoroughfare of everybody coming this way and that way, trying to go through there. It's a port city. Everything's happening in a city like Corinth. Well, Paul, like he does in so many other places, is beginning a new Christian movement there. He's starting churches, and he's helping people understand that there is a new understanding of who God is because of his son, Jesus Christ. Because the story of Jesus being, being killed on a cross and being risen from the grave is changing everything. In the entire Roman Empire, everyone is waking up to this new reality, and Paul is talking to these people in Corinth like, you have your old ways, come try this way. And there are people who are like, all right, I'll give it a chance. But as you can imagine, when you start anything new, it looks like a kindergarten classroom, and everything goes wrong. Much like a kindergarten classroom where you're trying to make sense of all of the chaos Paul has to deal with people who aren't sharing. He has to deal with people who don't really know how to use scissors or how to use glue, things like that, like you would in a kindergarten classroom. But if you were to go back to Corinth, there's people who are messed up. They believe crazy things. In chapter 8, we're going to read a whole chapter. You get your whole money's worth today here at Refuge. You can go tell people, I did a whole chapter at church today. So 13 verses, chapter 8. This is the storyline of what Paul's saying to his friends. As I turn there. There we go. Now, about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that, quote, an idol is nothing at all in the world, unquote, and that, quote, there is no God but one, end quote. And he's going all the way back to the Old Testament. He's referencing a passage in Scripture called the Shema, where we talk about God as one for all of Israel. Verse 5, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us, there is but 
one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through him who all things came and through whom we live. Verse 7, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Let that sink in before we move too quickly. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. So, Paul is making a very clear case for being a vegetarian. Got to have a little brevity here. Because when you read passages like this, and you take yourself back into that first century context, and you try to imagine what it is that Paul would have been dealing with, it's really hard to draw the connections to our world because you and I rarely have hung out with people who have sacrificed their food to idols. If you have, it sounds like an amazing story, and we must talk because we just don't deal with this. Like your neighbor next door has never gone to the temple, taken their meat, and sacrificed it to some idol god that you don't even know the name to. But this is exactly what happens in Corinth, because that's what you did. You went to the temple, you got your sacrificed meat, because the priests of the day who were at that temple working their thing to some idol, and the people over there were really good at making sure that they had all kinds of gods covered, because you just didn't know which gods you needed to pay off or appease to get your thing done. And so they would go, and there was meat that was sacrificed. And at times, when it was done being sacrificed and used for whatever ceremony, you could cut a deal with the people in charge and take the meat home. Sounds like a cheap meat market for us in our day. And there are people that Paul are dealing with, because there are, there are these Christians, if you've heard of these people, there's these Christians in Paul's groups that they would get together and be like, you know what? There's no sense making a big hubbub about the whole meat sacrifice to idol thing because we all know that God's God and all these other idols are fake. So it doesn't matter if someone pretends to sacrifice their meat to an idol. It doesn't carry any power. So Paul, on one hand, is dealing with people who what you would say is they have their freedom or they have their knowledge. They're smarter than people. And then he has other people over here that say, well, I just came out of a life where all I did was go to the temple to pay off the God. And if you serve me or if I see you eating a piece of meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, it's going to cause me to question whether this God we are supposed to worship is real. That's the tension of the day. And again, 
It's thick tension that many of us don't fully understand. Have you ever been, you ever been in a conversation with someone who's always right? Right? At times, you're around them, and they're smart, and they say things that are right. And sometimes, it's just really hard to be around them. Because when they are right, it makes you feel less than right. And they are very quick to let you know that. It's really hard at times to be around people who want to tell you this is the way it's supposed to be. And this is kind of like the, ta- the, kind of like the tone that we get from Paul's writing. Because there are people who are like, I don't know, we got the right version of things. We got the right version of God. Let me tell you about them. You can sacrifice the meat all you want. It doesn't matter. Get the best deal and have a filet mignon on that idol God that you, it doesn't even matter. And then there are other people who are like, wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me that there's no power there? Hold on a second. Everything that I've been led to believe about this issue really messes me up. So scholars or other people, for many years, have tried to figure out, well, how do we make this make sense in a 20th or 21st century context? What do I do with this passage? How do I take out the meat sacrificed to idols? Because we don't do that. Again, if you do, we've got to have coffee. I want to hear these stories. But what do I put in place of that? And for years, we have been putting things in place of that. And it's tough for me even to go down that road Because there's certain things that are issues to some people, and there's certain things that are issues to others. So it's hard to say, well, here's the giant list, and if you do this list, God loves you more. Just make sure you don't go there. Because some people have made it all all about all kinds of issues. One being like, oh, let's just throw that, that little A word in there. The alcohol word. Like, is that the issue that we're talking about? You're like, ah, if we do that, if we apples to apples, oranges to oranges, it's not really it. But what is Paul really trying to get at when he opens this passage up? He's speaking to people who want to say, I'm right. I'm always right. I know what's going on, and I love to be right, and I will love to tell you all that you are not right. And again, have you ever been around a person who's always right, and it's really hard to be not right around them? Because they'll let you know. Um, in my life as a, f- as a parent, as a father, um, I get to be right a lot, whether I am or not. I will make them know that I am right. And I make the rules. I serve the food, not sacrifice to idols. But they live and breathe in my house, and I'm right. And I like this position. I try to take this position to other places, and I'm not always so right. But c'est la vie. I was in a conversation with uh, a couple uh, last week who I'm doing some marriage counseling with. They're getting married at the end of this year. And we go through nine areas of a marriage relationship in lead up to their wedding day. And part of the conversation that I deal with every couple when we go through this, this kind of like process is every area, and most of it's things that you would assume are areas that you should talk about. Like communication. I mean, you're going to be communicating for the rest of your life, positively or negatively or neither. That's an issue you should talk about. Or conflict resolution. Have you ever figured out how to resolve conflict in your life? And what I do is like, tell me about your your home of origin. What was it like? What was it like growing up? How did you 
observe people communicate? How did you observe people resolve conflict? And I was with this couple, and they're mid to late 20s. And they have just such a pure desire, just like we want our marriage to look way different than what we came from. I'm like, I appreciate that. Tell me more. And we go through these different areas. And the issue that we talked about last week, it's the issue. At least it was for them. Finances. I know. Came out of left field for you right there. You're like, I thought it was going to be something really deep. Finances. Because I'm asking them, what did you see money as as a kid? And how did you see it in your household? And how are you guys attempting to put these two worlds together? And they told me stories of their homes of origin that would really greatly surprise you, probably depress you. And the two of them are trying to say, we're drawn a line in the sand. And we, when we go into our marriage, we want it to be way different. Because what we saw our parents do ruined them and it ruined our home. And it was just so eye-opening for me. Because they lived with people who always were right and they never were willing to admit that they were wrong about something. So it's hard to be around people who are always right. It's hard to be around people who want to make sure that they tell you how wrong you are. And I left that conversation with my eyes just like, oh, this is amazing. I love to see these mid-20s, you know, kids. They're just getting married. It's cute. Like kids do these days. I'm looking at some of you, right? Yeah. How do you put this whole marriage thing together? And I walked away, got in my car, and I drove home. It's like, man, I think they're going to be teaching a lesson to their parents with the ways that they do this marriage thing. It's going to look different. And then I had this thought. I wonder what the lessons are that my kids are going to teach me. They're going to make me know something better. And it's like, oh, it's going to be a while because I'm dad. I'm always right. I'm always right. Until Wednesday. I was so ready for Wednesday morning. I'm a pastor. I wanted it to be like a spiritual start to my day. Everyone was up. They were doing their thing. I was sitting in my chair, the one I loved. Next to the Bible, I was having it open. It wasn't even closed. It was open. I was reading. I was, I was following this devotional that I use. I was saying prayers. I put in my noise-canceling headphones because I wanted to cancel them out so I could have my very spiritual moment because I'm a pastor and I deserve spiritual moments, all right? So I had to get up and get a drink, so I took one of my, my noise-canceling headphones out and I can hear what's going on. It's very, very simple. Not much is happening. People are getting ready for school. They're getting dressed. Some people are eating. Then, then my daughter says to me, in the rush of the morning, in my desire to have a spiritual morning, she says, can you put the toast in the toaster for me? And I said, no. Don't you know what I'm doing right now? I... I'm having a spiritual moment. That's what's going on in my head. I didn't have this with her. It's, it's, it's supposed to be spiritual. I said, no, do it yourself. You can totally do it. You are 
very, you can put the bread in the toaster, okay? I'm doing me, you do you. That's again a thought that ran through my head. I didn't say it, but I thought it. But she didn't really like the answer. Kind of messed her up. She got really mad. Stormed off. I know what that means. There's no food in that belly. She gets even madder. I could give in or I can win. And I wanted to win. I'm not making your toast. You're going to come back into this kitchen. You're going to get your food. And I'm going back to my spiritual moment, all right? Quit bothering me. Again, that's a thought that went in my head. I didn't say it. I'm saying it to you. I'm not going to fix your toast. She gets mad. She gets really mad. And then I decided I would match her where she was at. And she's expressing her anger that I won't fix her toast. I decided to express my anger at her messing my day up. So I matched her. You can imagine what that looked like. It's not very spiritual. It's not very pastoral. Not very good. But I, I wanted to win. So I, I met her at her volume. And again, you can imagine in your mind what that looks like. People in the house started to take notice. Again, you can imagine what that looked like. And I said, I'm not fixing your toast. What's wrong? You can totally do this. And I'm going to let her have it. And I let her have it. And I knew I was on the verge of winning because she began to have tears on her face. And she's like crying. I'm like, why do you need me to make your toast? And I'm saying it very sternly because I want to make a point. And she says, which bravo to her that she was able to communicate her feelings in this moment. She says to me, because I like the way that you make the toast. Oh, man. I was supposed to have a spiritual moment. Supposed to go sit in my comfortable chair, do my devotions, have God love me more, perhaps dump some amazing knowledge into my soul and into my mind, and I'm in the kitchen dealing with this, and she says that. I was like, I could win, but I don't feel like I did. But I got a message that day, and that conversation stayed with me all day. It really stayed with me, because I learned something in that moment that I can choose to be right about something, or I can actually choose to love. And that is so hard. The world that you and I live in, we are choosing right all the time. And people are letting you know about it. They're posting about it. They're dropping their mics all the time saying, I'm just going to speak my truth in love. And you're like, oh, great. I better get ready for some truth that doesn't taste like love at all. Because it stinks. And it's got a foul stench. And what you just said to me really hurts. And in that moment, about toast in the kitchen, 
I had a choice. Was I going to be right or was I going to choose to love? And I didn't make the right choice that morning. It was hard, so hard. So when I came across this passage, as I've been wrestling it with all day and all week, I'm like, Paul, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say to people about sacrificing food to idols? It doesn't make sense to me at all. How in the world is that going to make sense to a crowd of people on this day and in this year? And then I go back to the first two verses, and we're going to hopefully put it back on the screen for you to look at if you have your Bible. Look with me. He's like, now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that, and he puts a quote around this, we all possess knowledge. Get it. Just put it out there. We all get this knowledge stuff. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Oh, and those are cutting words. Because I love to be right, and I love to prove that I'm right, and I love to have the last word. I love to win the argument. I love to be the one who can do that. And then I hear Paul's words, and I'm like, dang it. It's like he's giving these really good, messed up people in Corinth some information that will change everything about their lives if they let it. And the interesting thing is it's the same information that's also super helpful for you and for me in this year. Because I can go through my life and be right all the time. I can possess knowledge. I can go through, I mean, you know, I have like given my life to studying this book. Like I know a lot of things. And I could choose to be right, or I can choose to exactly listen to what Paul is saying here, where he says, you can know everything, and it's going to puff you up. You're going to feel good about yourself. And you get that when the image of being puffed up, it almost sounds waning. It almost sounds like it's missing something of essence. It's like a marshmallow being puffed. Like That's the image I get. I'm not sure if it's a Ghostbusters thing or not for me. And, you know, I've been in, like, memory lane this whole week. Like, let's go back to the 80s. Let's watch amazing, you know, state puff, state puff like marshmallow, man. You get puffed up. Knowledge puffs up. Wow. And then he cuts you. Love builds up. And love is it. I don't know how to, how to love people at times because sometimes they're wrong. But Paul does not tell me I'm supposed to go out there and tell everybody how they're wrong. I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to love them. And he even uses these phrases like brother and sister, which is interesting because we are all connected to people around us and even in familial ways that we may not fully recognize and understand. If you've got an issue with your brother or sister, literally your brother or sister, you should probably deal with that. But, but Paul is drawing the boundary line a lot wider. And we all have these conversations that go south. We all have these moments where, like, I am right. And I want to prove that I'm right. I am not going to make the toast. I can win. But in the end, I lose. Because I didn't choose the way of the kingdom. I can win all day long. And it might make me feel good for a moment. But, man, it made me feel terrible for hours. Because it's cutting into my soul how I treat people. And Paul's verdict in this community of people in Corinth in the first century is also words for you and for me today. That I don't get to go out there and just prove how right I am. But I do get to go out there 
and showcase God's love for the people around me. So what does that mean? In that conversation where you were right and that person got offended, what do you do with that? What do you do when the person in your life makes a bad decision and you don't agree with it? What does it look like to love? It doesn't mean that you just become a, like a wet blanket or like a mat that gets walked over. But how do I showcase God's love in that conversation, in that relationship, in that place? And I don't know exactly what it looks like for each of you, but I'm trying to figure it out for me. And it looks less like people sacrificing food to idols, because we all know that doesn't happen these days. But it does show up in the people near us that we often want to prove them wrong. We want to prove them wrong on how they choose to vote. We want to prove them wrong on how they choose to live. We want to prove them wrong on what books they read, what songs they listen to, what movies they watch. And even deeper things. Things like the choices that they're making in their family that are affecting you. And God's saying, will I choose instead the way of love? Because knowledge will puff me up and make me feel good again for a minute. But there's something long-lasting about the love of Jesus Christ that Paul is putting on display for his brothers and sisters. And I'll be honest with you, Paul sometimes is really hard to read. You come across his words on a day like today, and you're like, oh, that's what I need to hear, because this is challenging. I don't want to, like, high-five you, elbow bump you, catch your eye at the end tonight, today, and you'd be like, oh, that was a good sermon. I want you to, like, be really affected by this. I want this to change you, because it has changed me this week. And again, I don't get it right. And it's, I, just because it's my birthday, maybe you can give me a pass today. But like tomorrow, hold me accountable. Put me on, put me on if I'm getting it wrong. But I want to I have relationship. I want to experience the love of Jesus Christ in this community that we're creating here in Orange and beyond. Because what God is up to through his, through his apostle Paul way back then, he's still up to today. And you can be right all you want, but it doesn't taste good. Choose the way of love. Choose the harder way. Choose the way that will bring about the redemption of the world that God is so looking for. And not dealing with the pettiness of our communities and our, and our society that bog us down. So when you're on that social media page and someone says something, you can easily tell them which way is up but I challenge you to choose love. When that person has wronged you and you apologize and you don't think you had to, choose love. When that sister or brother or friend or coworker or neighbor or child does something, they're going to do something. Choose the way of love. And it's not like a cop-out. It's not some kind of cheesy statement you put on a Hallmark card. Choosing the way of love is harder than you think but it is what God is inviting us into if we would just be available. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you open up our hearts and your minds to your word. For the words that I have used, I pray that they have brought you honor. But God, you are the one who is worthy of our honor today. We want our lives to reflect your kingdom in all manner of ways. Help us to use words, to use body language, to use our posture to bring about healing and wholesomeness to this world. 
You are not silent and aloof and distant. You are still on the move. Your kingdom is around us, and we see it all the time. Help us to be aware of it today, and help us to choose love. And may we see how it builds builds everyone up around us. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.
I sing those songs, and I can't help but think about two weeks ago when we had our friend David Dukas in here, and he proclaimed over us that God is still speaking. He's still on the move. He's still saying things. Are you available? Are you available to being even changed into this new year? We make resolutions. We have our list of how much we want to make our lives better. But my challenge for my own life as I step into a new year, a new opportunity to go around the sun again, is that I don't want to just fall into complacency like, oh, I did this one time before. I'm good. But God, would you continue to challenge me to live boldly into your kingdom, into the way of love so that the people around me can be affected? in ways that are life-changing and powerful. And it doesn't always show up cleanly in the moment. But if we trust a God who is past, present, and future, the God of the long range, the God who sees what's coming, and if we live into the place of love, we get to see it too. So that is my hope and my prayer as you step into this week. Kids, if you are in the room and you did uh, that box, you filled out even uh, church bingo today. I think that was the game of the day. You can turn it in and get a prize. If you are a parent of a student in middle school and high school, our 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, and then our ninth through 12th graders, there's a quick parent meeting. And it's quick, I've been told. I've been promised that. And it's going to happen right now. Like, not really a lot of, uh, of change. We're going to give you time. Parents in the sanctuary, we're going to do it safely. We'll have doors open, spacing, etc. And the youth can hang out into this room. But that's going to happen right now. But peace be with you this week. Have a great week. And would you have eyes to see what God's doing and trust Him to live into the places of love, into the challenging hard moments, and watch the world to be changed. Have a great week. We'll see you next week as February begins and it's Super Bowl Sunday. Have a good one. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.